0: Verse 37, John chapter 7, Jesus has been uh, at the Feast of the Tabernacles and he spent Uh, some time there, and at the end, the last day of that feast, he says this. On the last and greatest day of the feast, I'm reading from verse 37. On the last and the greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. But this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the the people said, Surely this man is a prophet. Others said, He is the Christ. And still others asked, How can the Christ come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Lord, we thank you for your commitment to truth. We thank you for your love that was revealed as you walked this earth and as you went to the cross. We thank you that you have so much for us. And we ask your Holy Spirit this morning to to breathe into these words your truth for us this morning. Thank you that your words bring life. And we want to be fully alive. So we ask you, Father, to just meet us now in your grace and your truth and set our hearts more on fire for you. In the name of Jesus, who gave up everything for us, we pray. Amen. So there's a kind of double edge here this morning. I'm just setting you up, you see, then it'll be easier. There's a double edge. There always is. And Jesus sort of said to people sometimes, I mean, remember the one time he came along and said, What did you expect to see? He said, John the Baptist came and you said, Oh, he's wearing the wrong clothes and he you know, doesn't eat anything. I come and I'm drinking at, with you know, sinners and tax collectors and you don't like either of them. And even in the reading we read just now, they were divided over Jesus. Jesus divided people. Uh, why did he divide people? He divided people because he spoke truth into their lives. And there's a huge temptation. I have a huge temptation right now to speak a a message of God's love and provision. And I'm going to do that. But leave out the edgy side. And Daniel stood up and said, you know, God loves us even when times are hard and when things are tough. And, And I'm wanting to speak about, there's two words that have been resonating with me over the last week and a half, and they are thirsty and hungry. And God talking about, come to me those who are thirsty and hungry. And everybody actually is thirsty and hungry. But on the way to Jesus, there's lots of stands saying, well, have this, have that, have this, have that. We live in a, in a, in a society that has enormous amounts of resources to slake your thirst and feed your hunger, that don't bring life. But they bring addictions or distractions. So how do we live in a world that's real? Because we live in a real world. A real world where we have people to take care of. We have mortgages to pay. We have jobs to to, to do. We have all kinds of challenges in relationships. And we have a real world. And if you're like me, one of the things we do a lot of the time is I live in this real world and say, when I finish dealing with my real world, then Jesus, I'll give you some attention. And Jesus came into the real world. He came into a world which was brutally occupied by a very brutal army, the Roman army. If you want to talk about reality and how to deal with life in hard circumstances, Jesus could tell us a few things about what it's like to live in occupied territory. What's it like to live uh, in a place where you don't know what your future is because you don't know what the political situation will do? Where there isn't fairness because you you don't get a vote. You either have the Romans oppressing you and making the taxes and all the rest of it or you have the religious authorities getting their pound of flesh from you. It wasn't a pretty time. And yet in the midst of that whole oppressive, difficult political situation, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lives with extraordinary freedom. And he says, when you see me, you see the kingdom of God in the real world. See, the kingdom of God is breaking open into the prison that we've talked about, that world that has fallen, and is bringing another dimension. And he called people and he said, come and follow me. And he called them out of the real world into the real world. Because ultimately, Jesus said, if you want to know what the real world is, the real world is where I am. But my, I am so polluted and we are so programmed and so mistaught that we think the real world is the, the sweat and toil of the land. That is the curse of the fallen world. And we speak to God as if he doesn't get it. And if he listens to my excuses, he'll go, I understand, John. I want to talk about that and the church. Because we start saying, well, what about Jesus? Where is Jesus? And Jesus walks in this real world, this fallen world, and he, he... he speaks and lives and imp- heals, and he's listening to a different heartbeat. Radically different. And when he stands up and bears witness to that radically different heartbeat, which is truth, the love of the Father present in him, people react. Some he blesses, and he, bless- he desire is to bless everybody, but others don't like what he's doing, because he's calling them into question. He's he's challenging their priorities. He's challenging their positions. He's challenging their way of making sense of the world. I think it's similar in our lives. Jesus is cool in a cradle and on the cross and everything in between, we just back off a bit. remember when he comes to the older brother, the the prodigal son, it's just such a powerful story, it's why I so often refer to it. He comes to the prodigal son, the dancing and the banquet is going on and the father father comes to the older brother and he's, he's morose and he's in the garden or he's outside and he's, I'm working. And the father comes and he embraces him and says to him, all that I have is yours, all that I have is yours. Why don't you come inside? Why don't you come inside? Leoba, can you sit down, please? Why don't you come inside? And I think God is saying that to us as well. And I, I think He's saying to us there's so much more for, for you as individuals, and there's so much more for us as a church. Come closer. Come closer. Come closer. And so we have these two realities in our lives, and this is the part that's difficult to know how to talk about, the realities of real life as I experience it, and the realities of what we're being called to in the kingdom. And I don't know how to illustrate this other than to tell you what you've heard before, but I know what it was was like living under the curse. When I left this church, I said, God, I'm so glad I'm free. And then I I think I read to you not that long ago, I came across this word. that, okay, you can be free. And you're free to live under judgment and you're free to do this and you're free to do that. And that, whoa, that was not good. And for seven or eight years, I lived in anger. I'm going to deal with my stuff and hurt and pain and all the rest of it. And as God began to woo me and melt me again, because I said, I'd never do this again. I'd never be here. It's too vulnerable, it's too painful, it's just, in, in the background there's too much stuff, I don't want to do it. It's a goldfish bowl, everybody has an opinion, go on and on and on. And God in his love began to woo me despite myself, and then because I went, oh, there's nothing on this other side that is worth it, the cursed side. And as I said yes to him, and as he said yes to me, What happened? When I said, "Lord, I will say yes to you. I will go wherever you want me to go. If you want my house, you can have my house. I hope you don't, but it's it's on the table. If you want my relationship, you have it." What happens? The journey back here is one full of vulnerability. It's full of having to say to people, "I need help. I can't make it financially." It's full of coming back here and saying my relationship is all over the place. I don't know whether how to do this and sharing it with you. Sharing, do I get married or don't I get married? And then it all falls apart, and I have to send out letters to people, to all of you, to be accountable. And then when you know marrying Cheryl, asking permission in a sense, saying, do you think this is reasonable? Why am I telling you this? I had to say, Lord, I have no support or no security. I'll trust you with it. And we started Jericho Road and said with Jericho Road, we were going to be a community that was different. We were going to do church differently three years ago. And at the beginning of this year, we said after we heard Graham Cook's prophetic words, we said we're going to do. We, we, you know, we're not going to be apathetic anymore. We're not going to. We're not going to be passive. We're going to be proactive. And in the real world, which is where we are, there haven't been pay increases for staff for three years. The benefits are behind. You can't keep up with the costs. And I say, yes, Lord, I'm still in. And why I'm saying this to you is not because there's nothing angry in me. I'm merely saying, uh, we all committed to this. And what I'm sharing this morning is I'm practicing imperfectly what I'm preaching. So is Brad and Julia and so is Dave and Megan. It's a real world, it's not spiritual nonsense, it's real stuff. Money, time, ownership, priorities, stuff like that. And we began to say, okay, how are we going to press in? And we said, okay, we'll do something on Tuesday nights to try and equip us, and we'll do Thursday night prayer times, which are times to try and provide opportunities to come before the Lord and worship. And so, for Thursday evening to happen, I gave up a league squash thing that was very precious to me. So one time I went out of the church stuff and I, and I played and, and hung out with people who weren't Christians who I still would love to do. But to do Thursday night meant I had to give it up because I couldn't play the league times. Do that willingly. For Thursday night to happen cost seven hours for me. To set up the music, I drive over here, stay here for four hours and go back again. All I'm trying to say is there's costs involved in pressing in to say, Jesus, will you make us different to what we have been in the past? And I don't know how else to illustrate. But to be here, to be part of the vision of Jericho Road, costs time, costs money, costs inconvenience, costs sacrifice. And the Lord says, will you trust me with your life? Will you trust me with your time? Will you trust me with your priorities? And I have to say in love to you that I hear more reasons why you can't be part of things than why you can be. And I want you to ask the Lord about that in your own life. Don't come under judgment because it's not being shed under judgment. But if we're going to build a church that is, is, you know, we use phrases like Uh, we do church differently or uh, uh, we're going to be... All the differences are going to boil down to our willingness to step into something. Do you remember when Jesus called the disciples? He called the disciples and he said, Come, follow me. And what do you hear them say? And they left their boats and their father and they followed him. You cannot follow Jesus without leaving something or laying something down. And you cannot follow Jesus and be a church that's dynamic, filled with the Spirit, if you don't hang out together. And one of the reasons why we've plateaued and why we're stuck is because we're not hanging out together. We're cherry picking. It depends what's going on. We don't mark out a Thursday for an hour or a Tuesday evening and say, that's a priority, not just because I can get something from it, but because I want to be part of what's being built. It's not rocket science, and I'm, I mean, you can hear, I'm not speaking out of anger, I'm just speaking real, real basic, pragmatic community. And I believe what you do when you do these things is you say, Lord, here we are. And if you watch Jesus calling the disciples, the only time they weren't together was at the cross when they were afraid. That's when they fled. But if you want to see the Spirit of God working in a church, you have to draw together. Because God works in us together and then through us and around us and from us. That's how it works. The greatest enemy to church growth is individualism. Am I sounding unreasonable? I mean, it's a principle. How it applies in your life is what you have to discern. How it applies for you is is what you have to discern. But if you want to see this church grow, it needs that kind of commitment. Any church, in fact, that is different from just visiting God on Sundays. It takes the transparency of starting to say, I have a need before I have a solution. It means that things like pride and greed and selfishness get brought to the surface. And you you might even be reacting now, I don't know. That's the Spirit of God. You see, he didn't call me or Dave or Brad to be full-time and the rest of us aren't full-time. We're all full-time. We're all full-time followers of Jesus, if that's what we profess. So what we do with the full-time is what we're talking about. And if he calls us to be a member of a body, which he does, then how does that get expressed in real time? When do we say no to things so that we can be yes to this, because there's a consistency required? That's when the sacrifice comes in. No, I can't do this because I'm committed to this, and I want to be committed to this. That's what it looks like. So, what's this about hunger and thirst? Because that's kind of the backdrop. There's a lot. I'm going to. We're going to get encouraged now. All right. I'm not beating you up. Do you feel beaten up? Some of you do. Okay. Start re-fra- reframe stuff. Reframe stuff. If you're part of an Olympic k- team and you want to go into the Olympics, what are you going to do? You're going to have a trainer, a sports psychologist, a coach, and you're going to be up at four in the morning and you're going to be working your guts out. And if you start whining, they say, I thought you wanted to be part of the team. We see the talent, but we don't see the commitment. Go and sell ice creams then. No pain, no gain. There you go. The same principle is true with the Christian faith. That's all. If you go into the Middle East, you see this, you know, this barrenness, this parched land, this dryness. And Jesus comes into that place and says, I will give you water. But when I went into Uganda, there was a, it, it's, it's lush. Do you want to show the first picture there? The people, this was in northern Uganda near the Congo border. When I visit, went to visit Pat, we went to do a conference up in the north. And I was in this village, and sort of living in, at Micah's uh, little conference center on top of a hill. And all around, you can see these thatched cottages and roofs. The women usually um, go and gather wood, and they have to go further and further away because the wood is getting further and further away. You never ever. Uh, next slide, please. You never ever see people going uh, to fetch wood or water. Or food on their own. They're always going together. Because they have to, I mean, they have to, they have to walk miles to get stuff. To get the basic necessities of life. Let's have the next one, please. There's a children carrying water up from the river that probably takes them half an hour, at least. It's very romantic when they're black and then in Africa. It's a cute photograph. To live it is nothing; is something else. To carry that, that load is quite something. But they've learned how to say, we have to do this, so we might as well talk and sing along the way. Is there one more? This was just, a, it was pouring with rain, and so they put out the buckets to catch the water. And to me, those are just symbols of what God is saying in terms of hunger and thirst. What effort is going to be given from us to have the thirst for Jesus met? How hungry or thirsty are we? Because we live in homes where we just turn on a tap, I think we start going, well, God, I'm just going to turn on the tap, and preferably, you know, I'd like a cup of water by my bedside when I wake up. And that's why when I speak about effort and I speak about our need to do things, we get sort of defensive. But I believe God's inviting us to say, hunger and thirst for the things that I have to give you. And that takes effort. That takes some commitment. That takes some willingness to bring about change. It takes the willingness to put out the buckets or to say, where's the rain falling? I need it. Because God is working inside out. And in the spiritual realm, Canada is very parched. In the spiritual realm, we actually are the ones needing to walk down the hill to get the water and the food and the wood. In much of the third world, they don't have to walk so far for the spiritual stuff. You go to the same people who are carrying the water will go into a service and they will be all passionate, all vibrancy, all whatever for four hours. They know how to access the Spirit. It's the other way around for us. I'm going to go through... A few Bible verses, quickly, and I mean quickly, just to, to, this is what the Lord, I believe, Ezekiel 47, is is inviting us to. He's talking about the river that flows from the temple in Ezekiel. It's a picture of God's favor and God's life and God's faithfulness. And in verse in chapter 47, he said uh, he describes the river flows toward the east region, goes down to the Arabah. He says where. Uh, where it empties into the sea, the water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish, because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Egleam, and there will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both sides of the water- river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. It's a picture of abundance. It's a picture of great abundance flowing from the heart of God. And everyone along the banks of that river has abundantly. That's what he's promising. Isaiah 49 Verse 8, this is what the Lord says, in the time of my favor, I will answer you and in the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances. To say to the captives, come out and to those in darkness, be free. They will feed beside the roads and find pasture on every barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat upon them. He who has compassion on them will will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. Isaiah 55. That was in the time of my favor, which is where we're meant to be living. Isaiah 55, verse 1. Come all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come by and eat. Come by wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. God's ways are not our ways. And we need to understand that as we come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, will you fill me? All along the way, there's going to be temptations and seductions to say, we'll have this instead. And that is where we need one another. i remind you of the prophetic word spoken by Graham Cook. I went through it. Whatever is against you must now be broken. That means you get to break the yoke. You get to go after it. Graham Cook was speaking about favor. He was a prophetic guy who spoke up in, fe- in February. That's ten months ago. About... God's favor on this island and us stepping into it. You get to hunt it down and stab it with your favor. Favor is a sword in your hand. Now listen to this, because this is really what I'm saying. Now the real wise people among us will group together and you will go to each other's houses and go to each other's businesses and you'll get in little collectives and you'll talk about favor and you'll explore favor. And you won't let each other back down. You won't let each other back down. Do you hear that? We won't let each other back down. We'll be in your face and say, where are you? We do that? I don't think so. We get offended. Get out of my face and get out of my business. But you really want the Lord's favor and you really want the Lord's humility and you really want the Lord's working in our lives. We stamp pride and self-sufficiency underfoot and say, I love you enough to get in your face. What's going on? It's not sufficient for me to have to open my heart wide. We all have to do it. It's the favor of God that comes through that. It's cool. The worst side of that you get into this authoritarianism, and I'm not talking about that. You won't let each other back down. The stupid among you will try on your own. Get together in groups. You should be marauding bands of favor seekers. Because the whole point of this next 12 months is that you get used to fullness. You get used to abundance. You get used to opening windows in heaven everywhere you go. The whole community on this island is dependent upon how you approach this opportunity that God is giving you. I think it's a very cool thing we're invited into. But I I, I do know without a question it will not come if we're self sufficient and if we're proud and if we hide and say, Lord, deal with me on my own, and then I'll come out into the light and help these other people who are, you know, not as good as me. We're on a lifelong journey. Are you excited by that? You don't have to do this on our own. Brad and Brad and Dave and I have been tearing each other's well hair out well they're losing Um, but you know have been wrestling with this it wasn't meant to be that funny but we've been wrestling with this for three years ask them we've had meetings every week for three years talking about what do you think and getting in each other's faces or saying well get in my face and wrestling with them there have been times when it's been quite difficult it's actually never been so bad I don't think uh, it hasn't? You better be careful how you answer that. It varies, but it's certainly all not been all just you know sweet. But it's much, it, it's it's very cool now. It's much freer now because you begin to play, get into a place of trust and say it's not about me being rejected. It's about us growing together. That's why in the new year we're talking about maybe having smaller groups where we have groups of five meeting together uh, for three months to try and help and encourage one another in growing in this kind of area. (coughs) Let me finish with two references. One is in Mark chapter 8. Where Jesus is healing a blind man at Bethsaida, and the people, uh, in verse 22, they come to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him, and he took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, "I, I, I see people, they look like trees walking around. Once more Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes, then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And Jesus said to him, Don't go into that village prayer time, not long ago, we, we looked at that passage and said, why did Jesus take him out of the village? We figured he took him out of the village because there wasn't enough faith in that village for healing to take place. And our prayer is, God, will Jericho Road be a place where you don't have to take people out of in order for them to be healed? Because there's not enough expectancy of faith in that community for for him to be free. Now, you don't get that faith kind of community By not gathering together. You get that faith kind of community by working it out together. And there's the last one which is uh, the woman at the well in John 4. Where the woman uh, comes to the well in the middle middle of the day to get uh, water and Jesus meets her at the well. And he asks her for water and they have this long discussion. And I just want to take one phrase out of that where Jesus is discussing with this woman, and she's the Samaritan woman from verse 9 of chapter 4 says, You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And Jesus said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And what struck me. In that passage, that I hadn't seen before, was Jesus saying, If you knew. In other words, Jesus can stand in front of me, and depending on my response to him, depends on what's released. My relationship with Jesus determines what is able to be released. I have a little clip to finish with. Jesus said uh, in verse 35 of John 6, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. And so all we're talking about this morning is how we follow Jesus and how we encourage one another together to follow him. And how showing up is one of the keys to growing up and seeing more of the fruit. I was driving home and saying, Lord, what do you want me to talk about with this thirst stuff? And how? And he seemed to remind me and said, What do you think the gifts of the fruit of the Spirit is? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. He says, That's the fruit that I want to give my children. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. To so feed on that. And you feed on that by keeping company with Jesus. Are we making any progress or are we, are we done? That's what we're talking about. It's where does it stop with Jesus? Where do we say, this is as far as you can go with me? And he comes up and says, I want to... Because he always does come up and say... Well, we're not finished yet. Either as a church or as individuals. So if what I've said this morning you get defensive about, ask the Lord about what you're defending. Because I'm not attacking. Jesus is saying, I want all of you. I gave everything for you. That's what you're celebrating this Christmas. I gave everything for you. I gave up my palace, I gave up heaven, I gave up, and I came down in human form for you. And all that I have is yours. And the response that I call from my disciples is that all all that my disciples have is mine. So the real world is where I live as your friend and as your top priority. And if you live in that place, you will learn to live in those hands, you will learn that I give abundantly. And that if you actually walk alongside me, I will be your security, not your pension. I will be your security, not your bank balance. I will be your security, not anything else. And if you risk walking with Jesus, he's going to come alongside with all of those realities. He's going to say, I want to go deeper with the way you deal with your time. I want to go deeper with the way you deal with your relationships. I want to go deeper with the way that you give me yourself. I want to go deeper with your money. I want to go deeper with everything. Because I love you. And I have more resources than you have. And I want to be the God who is your life. That's the invitation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you. there's nothing in your word right now, in this room, that is a word of condemnation. It is a word of revelation in terms of the attitudes of our hearts, in terms of the priorities, in terms of the freedom we give you. And we confess to you the things we struggle with, the things we struggle to let go of. We have security in all kinds of places. That is not you. And we just pray for wherever we are with you to be willing to take the next step, whatever that is. And that will vary among us. But Father, we do come before you and ask you to draw us together as a church that is extraordinary in its openness to you and its openness to one another. And we pray that your Holy Spirit will breathe into us this Christmas a new depth, of commitment, a new depth of excitement, about gathering together, so that the Holy Spirit will be free among us, the river of the Lord pours out over you to equip you and to fill you in every way, and so we bless you, Jesus, for what you 're teaching us and leading us in. Amen.